Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, we are back with another 2010's Best Picture winner, and boy, is this going to be a good episode. I'm excited about this movie, my friend. I When I rewatched this for this, I was surprised at how much more I loved it. <laughs> so it, it it's like, I know that you, you, you joked about how you would uh, put this back in your top 10 movies of 2019. If you could redo it, thinking back on it, I had three movies ahead of this in my top 10 films of 2019. Number one, I would say is still number one, but numbers two and three and four could be shuffled, and I wouldn't mind. First of all, bold of you to say that I joked when I was being completely serious. No, you joked. You left this off of your 2019 top movies, and I am so proud of you for doing so. This is Here is Mr. Scott Lentz, anti-establishment, um, anti-critic. Uh, it, it, it was the proudest I was ever your friend. There's so much anger welling up within me. <laughs> so much as parasite is decidedly on that list as of now and i even hate to be to be mentioned in an anti-critic coagulation that's not a word for a collection of people but i've chosen it anyway in my fury and now christian we move on before my fury overtakes me and this podcast is derailed because i just want to have a good time here because it's safe to say that we're both very big fans of parasite and we get to then rave about it for the next 45 minutes on this podcast yeah, let's just jump into Parasite. And uh, as always, jumping into the background information of Parasite. So, released in 2019, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. The Cannes Film Festival being one of the top five movie festivals of the world. And by what I mean by top is that most celebrated and looked at. Alongside Sundance in the U.S., TIFF in Canada and then the Venice and the Berlin film festivals. And out of all of those, I would say that Cannes is even looked on as the most prestigious film festival probably ever in the world. Uh, It won the top honor at Cannes, which is the Golden Palm. And since then, it became the first, first of all, South Korean film to win that honor and barreled through award season, not winning everything at every single award show, but bringing in the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble, which, looking back on that, is kind of phenomenal, and then ultimately winning Best Picture, upsetting the favorite of that year, which was 1917. I have a lot of thoughts on Parasite. We are going a little bit into background, so Scott, give me your background with Parasite. My background with Parasite. Here is my Parasite story. So I (laughs) I don't actually have too rich of a Parasite story. I was lightly familiar with Director Bong, having seen The Host in one of my college movie classes, and that was a great experience. And I had also seen Snowpiercer, which we talked about on the streaming recommendations episode a while ago, a movie that I am a very big fan of, but that's it. And so... I started seeing all of the buzz about Parasite, and even though I wouldn't have considered myself, you know, a, a Bong Joon-ho devotee because I had only seen two of his movies, 
I happily lived in LA finally. So movies like Parasite were were more easily in my grasp than they were when I was a college student in rural (laughs) Southwest Ohio. And so I had a day off from work one day and decided I'm going to go to the movies and I'm going to see Parasite. And man, let me tell you, that was an excellent choice. So from there, I was a big fan. And even then, I, I felt almost crazy because the whole world, the film world, was in a state of endless rapture about Parasite. It was a jubilation as people discovered it and celebrated it. Longtime Korean cinema fans or Bong Joon-ho fans saw it as just this culmination of an incredible career, or at least reaching a, a mountaintop that they've been following for some time. And newer fans like myself were also wowed, but it's a movie that has only grown in my estimation now that I've seen it three times and not just the once in theaters and got to celebrate its best picture win that very night watching the ceremony. I am a big fan of this movie and I alluded to this on last week's episode. Well, I didn't allude to it. I mentioned it on last week's episode, but I actually received the Criterion Collection Blu-ray as a Christmas gift from my grandfather-in-law of all people. Definitely a a nudge nudge from my my in-laws saying Scott likes movies. You should get him this. And I'm now very excited just to have Parasite with me to rewatch whenever I want or dive into the black and white edition, which I plan on watching at some point here. But I'm a big fan. I really am. And more so than when I first saw it in theaters. It's definitely a movie where you can have an incredible reaction to it the first time, but it also can grow on you as you watch it more and you take more from it. And as you said, you liked it more on your first viewing and you still are liking it even more now that you're returning to it. Giving, yes, I watched it at this, I was in South Florida living there at the time and watched it at a local university's living room theater thing that they had where they would play like documentaries and foreign films that wouldn't necessarily play at the major chains. And I remember it, it was a Boca Raton. And so I was there with a bunch of elderly people, which was great because every time they had a reaction to something that happened, they would be like, Oh my goodness. And I'm like, oh, I love it. I love it with like kind of an engaged audience. Um, <laughs> it's, a thriller and it's a funny thriller and i i was in for that because there wasn't a moment of parasite where you're not hooked into what the the family is doing i'll give a little bit of background for I'll give a little bit of background for the plot of it so parasite follows a family a poor family uh, who are subjected to like poor living conditions as they, uh, but they're all pretty good con artists and they manage to con their way into all working for the same wealthy family in order to be paid well by them. However, when they, as they start to replace the current employees of that family one by one, they, certain secrets of those employees and of the family that they're working for come to light, which is a wild ride. (laughs) Let's just say that it's a, it's, it's kind of a wild ride. This is absolutely an episode where I would say, if you haven't seen the movie, I would stop listening right now and go watch parasite because the less, you know, the better. And people say that about movies from time to time. It's not always necessarily true, but truly the less you know about parasite, the more you will enjoy it your first viewing. 
Okay, so it was made around uh, for around fifteen point five million dollars, and drew in a box office of two hundred and fifty eight point eight million dollars. I also want to talk about some of the other films that were nominated around this time. So for it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best International Feature Film. First international feature film to win Best Picture. Let's look at some of the other nominees for Best Picture at this time. Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm not going to lie, it's a stacked category. It really is. There are only a couple movies where I was not as much of a fan as some. There were some of these movies that they really inspired hate from some people. Jojo Rabbit being one, Joker being another, even 1917 to some degree. It felt like for so many of these movies that... People almost got mad about them for some reason or another, which happens with Best Picture nominees. For whatever reason, we need narratives to argue about. And people are like, if this movie wins, then we're living in the apocalypse. Or if this movie doesn't win, then I, I'm going to go crazy. I'm never going to see a movie again. And I think Parasite winning this year was just a win that made everybody happy. I don't think there were too many people who care about the Oscars that were disappointed with Parasite winning. It it was a, a real moment of triumph for all of us Oscar and movie dorks. The thing that I will say is that it wasn't my favorite movie of 2019. It still isn't my favorite movie of 2019. That honor is still bestowed on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I also wasn't upset that this one instead of it. I'm going to count right now Parasite, Ford v. Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, six of these movies made my top 10 list of 2019. There are some films that I was more happy to win than others. What I'm glad about Parasite, Parasite was not a diversity win. Parasite deserved to get recognition. And, you know, I still love Tarantino. I'm still rooting for him. He has one more movie in him, he says. I hope that whatever he makes is the best thing of all time and that he takes home the best picture and or well, actually and best director honor for it. Maybe. Who knows? But I loved it. I, I absolutely love Parasite. I'm, I'm with you in that my favorite movie of 2019 is also on this list and still my favorite movie of 2019. And that is Little Women. Let's go, Greta Gerwig, Hive, Activate. And there are other movies from this list that were on my top 10 of the year. That being, I'm also with you at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Definitely a big fan there. As well as The Irishman, which I liked a lot more than you. And Ford v. Ferrari, which was a movie that we got to see together, despite not living in the same state at the time. So definitely a really, really good year in terms of the movies getting nominated. I'm sure there were others that that we liked that could have received a little more recognition and others that were you know popular among some or whatever movies that didn't receive a best picture nom that, that could have uh i know there's still some people out there ticked that avengers endgame didn't get nominated <laughs> which i love that movie but i don't know if it's the best picture i don't know we could we could talk about that another time but i'm with you that parasite winning was just a special moment it everybody was happy <laughs> i remember literally jumping off of my couch and just just thrilled with the win and 
Bong Joon-ho obviously having an amazing night, becoming this, the first person since Walt Disney to win four Oscars in one ceremony. Just an incredible, incredible evening for the Parasite crew and all of us who are fans of it. And now it just makes me more happy as I look back and I grow even more affection for this movie over time. Yeah, definitely a great win and a, and a deserving win. I agree with you. Let's let's take this time to move on to fun facts. We'll go into fun facts because I think what we really want to do is talk about the movie. So I want to give us time to talk about the movie. So, uh, Scott, are you ready for fun facts? I am ready for fun facts, Christian. Kick us off. So it has been much discussed, or I should say the, the set has been much discussed about Parasite. And I want to talk more at length about the house in this movie in our actual review portion of this episode. But the set was actually two... I I should say they used two major sets. One for the exteriors, which was an outdoor lot where they constructed kind of the ground floor of the house and then CGI'd everything above it. And then they built another set for interiors on the studio lot. And you just simply cannot tell during the movie, but they they did build this house, basically. Not actually finding a space and building the whole house, but you get it. But again, I mentioned last week on the episode that Steve McQueen made a room full of people in the Directors Guild laugh because he shot all of 12 Years a Slave in 35 days. Well, (laughs) uh, again, Bong Joon-ho inspired you know, delighted, confused laughter because when he won the Palme d'Or, Alejandro Gonzalez and Yoritu was the jury president at Cannes that year. And he's Go like, Go Ritu. Yeah, exactly. I love you, Ritu. Alejandro, if you're out there, I am here. We want to work going. with you. And he was like, you know, how did you find this house? That's such a perfect house. Where, where was it? How did you come across it? And uh, Bong had to say, well, <laughs> we didn't find it. We built it. And so I, I always love details like that about the movies. And if they didn't have this house, I, it honestly, the movie may not be as good. So one of the funnest facts about this is is that story with the, the set and Inyari 2 at Khan. I I'm going to go on to another thing, which is Parasite was originally conceived as a play. So Bong Joon-ho storyboards his films a lot before shooting them and he was thinking that it would be cool to make a play that bounces back and forth between the two households the kim apartment and the parks well house now the story was there in 2013 it was right after he'd finished snowpiercer and he began to write up the play but then just considered turning it into the catalyst for his next movie which is kind of cool. I would see Parasite the play. I'm glad we got the movie, though. In terms of staging the production, I feel like a play version of Parasite could also be really good. So I would also be intrigued if he ever wants to return to that idea. You mentioned this, but I wanted to share this, too. I was diving in, in terms of my next fun fact, was diving into some of the special features on my Criterion Collection edition of Parasite. And he storyboards his movies and the storyboarding process for parasite was so intense because he wanted to get it exactly right and he's sharing this in an interview that i was watching and he's always loved comic books as well and so by the time he was finished with the storyboards he realized that it was kind of like just a amateurish comic book 
but still provided some you know a good guideline for making the film but after it had such an astounding success he was actually encouraged to sell the storyboards not as a comic book but to sell the storyboards as just a sort of behind the scenes look at parasite so you can probably check it out on amazon but he's actually released his storyboards complete with the script so you can follow along with the movie and see this cool behind the scenes artifact of the making of parasite it's pretty awesome Okay, my next fun fact, the apartments were built in a water tank. So there's one crucial moment in Parasite where the apartment that the Kim family is in floods with, like, sewage. And so Bong decided to build the apartment and other apartments of the in the neighborhood that we see inside just a giant water tank to make it easy to flood the entire area when it came down to the pouring rain scene <laughs> that's crazy i love the commitment <laughs> so many amazing sets for this movie uh the last thing that i'll share that's actually more of a fun fact sort of i guess even like a trivia thing but christian do you know the last movie to win both the palm d'Or at con and best picture from the academy i i don't i i do not remember it no and i don't fault you because this is definitely one of the least popular best picture winners but the last movie to do both was marty in 1955 so what the frick is marty <laughs> you're not aware of marty starring Ernest borgnine <laughs> who who directed this i honestly will have to tell you after i navigate to its imdb page because i don't know myself uh delbert mann of course who's delbert mann the academy award-winning director of marty christian (laughs) what i i have never heard of this movie that's not true i i've actually it was written by patty chayefsky so okay god bless patty chayefsky there you go maybe it'll give you incentive to watch marty and like I said, one of the lesser seen Best Picture winners, at least for people from our generation. And so with Marty and Parasite, obviously that's almost or that's uh, almost 55 years between wins. But it's also only the third film ever to do it. The first one was The Lost Weekend in 1945. Okay. Okay, sure, sure. I guess Marty exists. Somewhere out there, the, the family of Delbert Mann <laughs> Angry at you, Christian. There's going to be a lawsuit in our hands. The slander that he suffered at your hands here on this podcast. Um, I am sorry, family of Delbert, man. I am sure that Delbert was an extraordinarily talented individual. Uh, but I have never heard of you. Maybe maybe that's just on me. I'm sorry. Next month's blend of the month will be Little Seen Best Picture winners, and we'll start with Marty. <laughs> have you ever seen Midnight Cowboy? I have not seen Midnight Cowboy. I kind of want to see Midnight Cowboy. Anyway, so did <laughs> on you air know, production meeting. <laughs> my last, my last one fact. Did you know that the pacing of Parasite was inspired by Mad Max Fury Road's pacing? <laughs> oh, wow! I did not know that, but that makes me tremendously happy. I love Mad Max Fury Road. I don't see it. Like I'm not. I don't think I get where that inspiration came from. They seem to be. Um, two very different things but you know cool now now i want to try to suss out what he was getting at because it feels like with mad max fury road it's just endless propulsive momentum forward a brief pause 
and then they turn around and go back and that might be what he was going for and that there is this full throttle momentum with the the family ingratiating themselves to the parks and then there is the rainstorm they have the pause at the shelter and then it's all go from there so in a way if we're trying to match these things up haphazardly that might be the connection i would make but i i would be interested to read more about that because that feels like a cool point of inspiration sure (laughs) thank you for your your earnest engagement with my ideas christian (laughs) look let's just dive into the movie (laughs) let's do it christian i'm excited parasite is an, an amazing film okay now parasite scott 2019 film a korean film about two families yes uh wins best picture against all the odds not that anyone was like rooting for it to fail but no one really thought parasite would win a a movie not in the english language had never won so it was an upset win for sure this is my question to you sir parasite Again, like last week, like 12 Years a Slave, it joins the canon of Best Picture winners. I think it's worthy, and so do you. You also think it's worthy to be in that canon. It is a black comedy thriller. My question is this. It's kind of in the black comedy. It's kind of in the thriller. It's kind of in the horror, because Parasite represents all four. There are 10 different genres going on in Parasite all at the same time. What is it about these juggling genres that became the ingredients to Parasite that we gravitate toward? And which one most captivated you? My answer might be a little simple. But I think that at at first glance, and every time you come back to it, parasite is ridiculously entertaining it is a rich film for sure there is a lot of symbolism and smart writing and witty writing that you can go back to there's great performances there's flawless technical execution but parasite is just flat out ridiculously entertaining and it's not always the most purely entertaining movie that wins best picture or even gets nominated obviously we were just talking about how avengers endgame did not get nominated and that was a very entertaining movie if nothing else 12 years of slave is not the most entertaining thing. it is not the most entertaining movie that is for sure but to build a campaign to become the first film purely in another language other than english to become the first film to win best picture from another country parasite had to build up a lot of goodwill not just with the academy but with the common folk like me and by having that entry point of being ridiculously entertaining while still being built on the backs of smart and incisive social commentary technical wizardry and everything else that makes a good movie good the the set and the production design and the costumes and the music, so on and so forth. It w- it just became so hard not to love Parasite. And so that is my answer to your question. It 
it it's and it, it's probably wrong <laughs> i know it's my opinion but i'm probably wrong there's, there's more to say there's so much that makes parasite great but that's just what comes to mind it, it's just it's super entertaining i agree with you it's super entertaining i'm gonna just push into the question a little bit more and ask you which one of its many genres specifically was it the drama was it the comedy was it the thriller was it the horror most grabbed you obviously it's a movie that works because all of those genres are working at once but which one did you most gravitate toward oh i don't know (laughs) the there is a moment in this movie i would generally resist parasite being called a horror but there is a moment that no matter what every time i see it makes me makes me clench because it gets me scared (laughs) What does it make you clench, Scott? It makes me clench my buttocks in fear, Christian. Okay. That's what I clench. It makes me tense up, grab the arm of the chair I'm sitting in. But does it have to do with a pair of eyes? It does. It does have to do with uh-huh. a pair of eyes rising from a staircase. I, I don't even know if I can pick out a particular genre that works because, like you said, it's this amalgamation, this, amalgamation, this witch's brew of different genres working together, playing off of each other. And it's so hard to even place what Parasite is because you at first called it a thriller. And I'm like, well, it's not a thriller. But when you look at the Wikipedia page, it says it's a black comedy thriller. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you have a black comedy thriller? I don't know. But Parasite is a black comedy thriller, I guess. So I don't even know, man. I hate to I hate to just throw away your opening question because that what kind of podcasting is that? But <laughs> it's just so hard to say. I don't even know what responds most to me because I I there are, I, I just love so much about this movie. Okay, I thought it was funny. And that's what works for you? I mean, there's, okay, so there's this, there's uh, one part of Parasite where we have the guy who is there to be hired as the English tutor. And he is trying to find a way for his sister to be hired as the art therapy teacher for the family's daughter. And the mom of the other family. Oh my goodness. The mom of the park. We have the Kims and the Parks. We have the mom of the Park family showing him a self-portrait that his that her son did. And he looks at the self-portrait. And it's just like a bunch of lines. It's not good. <laughs> And he's just staring at it intently and knows he needs to con this woman into letting his sister work there. And she's just so fascinated by what her son has painted or drawn. And he goes, oh my goodness, I see it. Just pulling that out of his ass. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. Man, and that that scene is, is so funny. And... There are so many other scenes with Mrs. Park in particular that are so funny because of her character. And even as you talk about the different genres and you bring up a couple of the characters, maybe it's fair to say even that part of the reason that Parasite succeeds is it blends characters from different genres of movies, which if I can explain myself, I can't. Well, I'm going to, this is an audio form of entertainment. (laughs) So looking at the Kim family, the father of the Kim family is Kim Ki-tek, played by Song Kang-ho. And he, in many ways, is the classic blustering father. He loves to make speeches, 
but obviously he's raised this merry band of con artists and he's actually a pretty good father but he also has his limits and he finds them with the father of the park family as he becomes his driver park dongik and we see this good father go to a, a dark place over the course of the movie now in an entirely different world we have the mom that you were just talking about the mother of the park family Choi young joe and she is living in a comedy everything that she does is ridiculous she is so lovably ditzy and i laugh so much at this movie with in her scenes because she is hilarious the the actor playing her who i, I should say is a choyo jong and we have elements of a coming of age story with uh, kim ki-woo the son who becomes the english tutor and we have elements of the the horror movie like we're talking about with eventually so obviously if you haven't seen this movie here's your spoilers with the husband to the former housekeeper oh gunsei who he brings in an entirely creepy element to this story because we find out he's been living as a secret denizen of the basement and it's these different characters bringing bringing the different genres to the story in addition to bong's writing of course but i think that's part of what makes it so fascinating is that these people all fit together despite having performances in entirely different registers all throughout. Okay. I think I know how to talk about this movie. I think I know how we should structure the rest of our conversation. You figured it out. I think so. We are going to, I'm going to give a spoiler filled plot synopsis. And then I am going to ask you to choose your favorite actor from this movie. Okay. And we will discuss why that person was your favorite actor, why my person was my favorite actor, and tie that into the storyline. Does that make sense? Not really, but we'll get there. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we've kind of just stopped care. Well, actually, we've become much more structured on this podcast, but we've also kind of like stopped caring a little bit. And that just makes for such entertaining stuff. <laughs> at least I hope it does. If it doesn't, please email us at cinematrippodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know how upset you are that Scott did not put Parasite in his top 10 of 2019. Goodness gracious. Exactly. Hey, hey, if you're going to give me the I can't believe you don't like Raiders or The Matrix. I, I can't. But but my my thing is malleable and, and healed. And I've told you I would put it. It is currently in my top 10 of 2019, if I were to make that list today. I have come to the light, Christian. I, if, if being in the dark side means I can maintain not liking those two movies I mentioned, I'm okay with that. And it's not that I dislike them. They're both three stars out of five. It's just, they're fine. All right. Shame. Now, shame, shame. <laughs> Kim family and Park family. Let's y'all listening. Follow that. We have the Kim family. They're poor. We have the Park family. They're rich. The Kim family. They're poor. They are also con artists. Now they are down on their luck. Park family. They're rich. They've stayed rich. They have a really, really nice house. Kim family. The Kim son has this opportunity to teach English to the Park daughter. He gets it. He starts to weasel in his other family members to other teaching facilities or other household facilities his sister english to not english tutor he's english tutor his sister art tutor his mom housekeeper his dad new driver the parasite metaphor at times comes into play with how they are living off of the riches of this family 
They take advantage of all of it. They're earning a good amount of money. The mom is able to stay there. They're getting good food. They're being invited to stuff. One night, the Park family is away and they're drinking and just kind of being merry. The old housekeeper, whom they got kicked out of her job, comes back. Says she needs to do something. They let her in. She goes into this secret basement where the old housekeeper's husband, who has been living there for four years, is because he is being pursued by loan sharks. Everything is like going off the walls. The new housekeeper, who is the Kim mom, tells her she needs to report her. The ex-housekeeper tells her that if she does, she will reveal to the Park family how she and the rest of the workers there are related and have been conning them. This results in a struggle for power where they kind of bond and tie up and kick that housekeeper and her husband in the basement to keep them there. Park family comes home early from their camping trip. They almost get caught. The Kim family ends up not getting caught. The next day, the next day, there is a birthday party. At that birthday party, Kim family, you know, all working. All of a sudden, the old housekeeper's husband comes out, starts to knife people. <laughs> He's very upset. He's very angry. And the societal tendencies and pressures that the Kim family has been facing, especially the Kim dad, comes to a head. And he's like, I don't want to be seen as a lower class citizen anymore. Is that Was that a safe synopsis, Scott? Uh, mostly. It's, it, there's a lot going on in the final scene, but it, it's hard to sum it up all in, in brief. And so I think we, we mostly nailed it. Okay. There are a lot of great actors here. I want to hear who is your favorite actor of this film. That is a very hard choice to make because I love, love, love two that I've already mentioned. Song Kang-ho, who is who plays the father of the Kim family, who is a frequent collaborator of Bong Joon-ho's and uh, maybe known to, to international audiences through that collaboration. That's how I recognized him. And I love Cho Yo-jong a lot as well because her performance as Mrs. Park is brilliant in terms of how funny she is at the beginning of the movie, how ditzy and she comes off as the this sort of like hapless, privileged, rich wife. And, and yet she also gets us to turn how we feel about her on a dime when we get to the end of the movie because our, our feelings on the Park family change very rapidly. And it's hard to choose between those two. So I'm curious as to your answer because maybe your, your answer is similar to mine. Uh, it's not. Oh. And it, when I hear about this movie, this actor does not get the praise that I think is deserved. And that's Chung Suk who is the mother of the Kim family. I think she is absolutely phenomenal. I think she has to balance so many plates. She is both a con woman who is masterful, a loving wife and a loving mother, and how she's taking care of her daughter after her daughter's been stabbed in the heart. She's also understanding the plight that the ex-housekeeper is in. 
she's got this like sinister smile that will melt away very easily because I do think she cares inside. She's just been hardened into having to do what she does in life because no one will give her family a chance. And that balance of kind of lovingness, which I think is so frequently overshadowed by Sung Kang Ho's Kim Ki Tech, is is there and is great. When she kicks that housekeeper down the stairs, oh my goodness. And yet the same time the next day when she offers her daughter food to bring down to the housekeeper, she's she's layered. I think she might be the most layered individual in this in this entire movie. Honestly, there there were a lot of people who were like, uh, we're so upset that Song Kang Ho did not get an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. My vote honestly would have gone to her, John Kye Yin, for supporting actress. I, I loved her. I loved her and I love her still. She also is giving an excellent performance, and you're right, and that I, I haven't often heard her praised as much as in particular Song Kang Ho, but also some of the other performers from this movie. So I'm glad to know that because she is very good, both in terms of her chemistry with the rest of the cast, as well as, like you're saying, this ability to switch registers emotionally uh, on a very quickly, go from smiling to serious to even angry uh, very quickly. And I loved the performance that she turned in as well. Can we talk for a second about how this movie won like best ensemble at the Screen Actors Guild. I mean, speaking of best or first movie not in the primarily English language to win best picture, it was also the first movie primarily not in the English language to win the best ensemble award at the Screen Actors Guilds oh, Screen Actors Guild Awards. The SAGs. Yeah, that was. It feels weird to say that. <laughs> SAGs is not a very fun verb. It's and like yes, this ensemble's crazy it's i and it uh, and it's so sad because uh, with so many other movies that get nominated for big awards in our country it's it's often with people that we already know and once upon a time in hollywood brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio leading the way there we've all seen a bunch of their movies We've seen Al Pacino movies. We've seen even some of the the younger actors like Dakota Fanning and Austin Butler. They're in other things that we've seen. And for me, because I'm a fool and a failure of a cinephile who hasn't seen enough international cinema, so many of these actors are still unknown to me. This is the only film of theirs that I've seen unless they've appeared in other Bong Joon-ho films. And it's, it's exciting because I want to see more of their work and I want to seek it out. But also, I just am not as familiar with them. It's it's such a, you know, it's two-sided, you know. And on the one hand, I'm excited because there's all these other movies that they've made in their, each of their careers that I can now go see. And yet, I also am just totally unfamiliar with them. I mean, okay, look, the ensemble in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is phenomenal. But I think that's the one thing where I would edge this out over it. Like, my favorite ensemble of the year had to have come from this movie. Because... Like you're saying, there are eight different genres going on at the same time in Parasite, and each one of these is embodying a different one of those genres. And sometimes that doesn't work. But here, it most certainly is working. Now, we, we've, we've discussed so many different things. Parasite is a complex movie. We're not going to be able to discuss every single aspect of Parasite. 
So I thought, you know, let's talk about kind of the theme of Parasite, the social dynamics of it. The title itself represents to something leeching off of something else. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on like the social emblematic things that are presented very, very well in this film? The social commentary that Parasite is making, the take on on class in the 21st century that it's offering is something that sort of went over my head the first time I watched it and then being able to listen to some smart people talk about it, read some articles, and then go back and see it a second and now third time has definitely helped clarify some of this for me. And it's part of why I've become a bigger fan of it because not only is it ridiculously entertaining and you want to watch it over and over again, but it feels like you learn more from it as you go back to it. And the theme of a parasite, what's funny to me is that that wasn't Bong's original title as he was working on the story, but he obviously changed it over time and settled on Parasite. And it just feels so perfect that I don't know how it wasn't always the title. When you think about the idea of a parasite being something, like you said, that lat- and one organism that latches itself onto another to suck the life away and allow itself to survive, that is sort of how the Kim family sees the Park family and that they see this gullible woman and absent, not absent father necessarily, but who doesn't pay attention to the running of the house because he doesn't have to. And they see an opportunity to make money. And so they get a bunch of people fired (laughs) and move into these roles and start leeching off of the parks because the parks don't even notice it it's no problem to them they are still within their rich family budget and of course over time we introduce a third family that of the the housekeeper and her husband who's been living secretly in the basement and we see the ways that (laughs) the first parasite was edged out by the new parasite and now the two parasites are at war and the host is none the wiser. And ultimately, at the end, of course, we see the ways that perhaps even that concept is turned on its head. And before I say more and talk about the ending, I, I want to turn it to you. And, and you know, I, I just don't want to monologue <laughs> like as we're thinking about these ideas of parasite, like the parasitic relationships in this movie before we get to the ending. Well, you know, what else were you picking up on while, while you were watching it for a second time? It's that idea of the the who is the parasite though? Is it the Kim family, or is it the society in which the rich are only there because the poor are there to support them? And that's not you know it's not the biggest stretch to get to that point where you're trying you're understanding that the rich individuals are actually those who are parasiting themselves from the lower social classes but it's it it's such a it's when you see how demeaning they can be and how terrible they can be and how sure the park family is not in and of itself the problem it is the loan sharks it is the lawyers it is the inability to move up in in, in status and therefore being forced to resort to all of this when you shouldn't feel the need to be to resort to anything that's the beauty of the social commentary to me 
how in, in just viewing these three different families, it doesn't matter who the host is or who the parasite is. It matters that something needs to change. And you're, you're understanding that so much of what people are doing sucks. You you mentioned it, so I'll I'll just dive into it. In terms of the ending, I think what's fascinating about the ending on reflection is, of course, like you're saying, that we realize that we thought the poor families were the parasites all along, but the larger point that Bong is making, this this something that needs to change, is that in a small way, the Kims were trying to be the parasites to the Park family, but we realize that it's really the rich who take advantage of the poor, and they continue to be rich while using the poor and they can throw off one person and, and move on to another as soon as a simple cause shows up they can get rid of their driver or their housekeeper whenever the first problem has arisen with with little cause or, or little concern for their employment status their income their well-being and the ending I mentioned earlier is very complex because it is the two poor families continuing their battle and the rich family, of course, being caught in the crossfire and ultimately revealing their true heart. And the sucker punch during the ending and what causes Kim Ki-tek, the father, to snap is that during this, this, violent, this outburst of violence during a child's birthday party, we have... The daughter, who we haven't said her name yet, but Kim Ki-jung, who gets stabbed by the the husband living in the basement who comes up. First, he attacks the son and leaves him lying in a bloody mess and then goes and stabs the daughter. And seeing him, again, causes Park Da-sung, the son, have a, to have a, a seizure based on a previous incident. And the rich family only shows concern for their child. All of their friends run off instead of going to help those who've been hurt, those who are dying as well. And we see that their only concern is for their own. And Mr. Park doesn't even offer to help. He just asks for the car keys from from Kim, uh, Kim Kitek. And it's this incisive <laughs> look at a rich family throwing off concern for anyone else's well-being or anyone else's safety, focusing only on their own while all these dead bodies are lying around that, that I think Bong is pointing out here. And ultimately what causes Kim Kitek to then turn the knife around onto uh, Mr. Park and, and kill him as well. We're, we're nearing the end. We're nearing the end of our time here. So I did want to ask you one last question before we reveal what's coming up next week. And that is, as hard as it is for you to choose, what one, the screenplay or the directing? Am I allowed to choose the production design? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a gorgeous house that isn't real. Unbelievable house, unbelievable set, and brilliant sense of place in this movie. So many films struggle to establish a solid and firm sense of geography and, and allowing you to know your surroundings, know where you are. And by setting so much of the action in this house, giving you a good look at the upstairs, the ground floor and the basement and the even deeper basement. Uh, you just get to know this house so intimately. And it's, it, it, it's part of what keeps this 
amazing movie running. I think given the actual options that you afforded me, I will go with the direction, just like last week. Although this one now is written and directed by the same person, uh, Bong Joon-ho, working on the screenplay with a collaborator, though, and that is Han Jin-won. I, again, um, I, I feel that for fans of his work that Parasite was a sort of mountaintop experience for Bong Joon-ho. He had made so many beloved movies, and I'm sure there are you know real fans of his who would argue that maybe there are others that are better, and so I can't really weigh in on that, having only seen three of his films. But this international, worldwide acclaim and uh, the accolades from festivals and award-giving bodies alike really just felt like a, a sort of crowning experience for Bong. And it's his brilliant work uh, in so many ways from storyboarding and conceiving of this movie, mapping out the shots before they could happen to challenging his actors with carrying these different genres and managing the tone of this story. Cause you got, you dive in too deep into any of these one, any of these different genres and you have a different worse movie but by managing all of these tones he keeps it just right the whole way through and again in terms of helping to manage the circus with flawless production design great camera work and cinematography precise editing getting these great performances out i know it's not exclusively bong joon ho who's causing this to happen but his work here is is undeniably masterful and so i i do have to go with his direction sort of over just the screenplay if that's if that's fair that's fair but i go with the screenplay <laughs> what a surprise christian oh shut up you turd you're a freaking writer I'm gonna, i'll write a screenplay i'll show you how it's done do it you won't you're right i'm too lazy one day exactly. one day we'll get around to that you know you know me too well uh no i think that the screenplay is similar to what you've been saying but it's the screenplay itself is juggling how to best present these characters when to introduce them how to change the tone of the movie by a reveal so many reveals here and all set in one location it makes sense why this was first conceived as a play and the idea to have that without making this too play e uh <laughs> Which, and by that, it's like you, you just have too many individuals talking. You're not having that many individuals talking about stuff. You're more kind of basking in what it is that their desires are and how they're kind of content being con men, but only because they don't know what else to do. And working that into a script is difficult. So that is what I loved about this story. All right. Um... That is our discussion on Parasite. That it is. Scott, cue me up for revealing what's going to happen next week. I sure will. If for some reason you did not heed our warnings and you've either spoiled Parasite for yourself or you are looking to rewatch it based on our discussion, it is available to stream on Hulu. I would also recommend if you have the resources to snag that Criterion collection for yourself, it's a delight. So Christian... We are continuing on with our Best Picture winners of the 2010s, Blend of the Month, chosen by me but curated by you. 
we've jumped around a little bit. We started in 2013 with 12 Years a Slave, and then we moved forward to the most recent Best Picture winner, Parasite. And now I turn to you, my friend, to tell us where you're taking us for the final week in this blend. It is a day that I have looked forward to for quite some time. We will now be looking at the 2014 winner called Birdman or, in parentheses, The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. It was written by Alejandro González Iñárritu, Nicolás Jacobone, Alexander Dinalares Jr., and Amando Bo, and directed by Alejandro González Iñárritu. It stars Michael Keaton, Edward Norton, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts, Amy Ryan, a lot of people. And uh, how much should I reveal about my thoughts on Birdman? We've already revealed some of my thoughts on Birdman in previous podcasts. Christian, you know, you gotta, you gotta leave them excited and, and ready, ready for more. So I think you should give them a taste, not too much, but give them a taste. If it were not for Birdman, I don't think I would have switched my major to film in college. Every time we talk about this movie, you have something hyperbolic to say, and that is new. I'm excited, <laughs> excited to talk about Birdman with you. Yeah, I am also excited. I am playing aggressive and on the defensive. Here, wait, how can you be aggressive and be on the defensive? It's like when I'm hitting you with my shield. Interesting. If I can, uh, if I can offer now my turn at giving a taste for how this episode could go next week. I once got Christian mad at me, even though I think this movie is a perfect 10 out of 10 so (laughs) if that's any indication on how christian feels about this movie i hope you get excited to hear him go absolutely uh bonkers next week on the podcast christian where is birdman available for those who need to watch it beforehand nowhere you're gonna have to rent it (laughs) rent it on prime or apple tv it's 3.99 y'all can do it don't come at me with the, I don't know about four. Yeah, you do. Spend those $4. You know, it's less than Starbucks coffee. You know what? It's about like a pack of Munster cheese at Ralph's for my West Coast people, at Publix for my Floridians, and uh, insert X here for anyone else listening. Thank you. We love you. Just, just look, look, just do it. Just do it. Nike, just do it. Just rent and watch Birdman. I am looking forward to next week, Christian. It'll be my first time revisiting Birdman since I saw it and it wowed me in the theaters. So I'm looking forward to that discussion with you. But until then, we thank you so much if you've reached this point in the podcast. Your listening to these episodes fills us with joy as we enjoy putting the show together for you. So again, thank you for listening. There are a few things that you can do that support the show and help us reach new listeners. So if you don't mind my asking, here are a few ways you can help. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, it helps us reach new listeners there, as well as subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Again, helps us grow and receive more notice. You can also engage with us on social media. Christian and myself are on Letterboxd, where we are rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. And also, we are on Twitter, so feel free to tweet us at CinemaDrip. We'd love to know your thoughts on the episodes, or if you have any ideas for us, or if you just want to say hey, we'd love to we'd love to chat with you on, on the Twitter. 
You can also send us an email, which I mentioned earlier, at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Again, we sincerely appreciate all the feedback that's been afforded us there. And if you wouldn't mind offering us your thoughts, we would love to think, you know, we'd love to use it on the show, perhaps, if it were to coincide with a blend of the month. Christian, any final thoughts for those listening along at home? No, but be warned. Be, be warned. Christian's going to go crazy next week, folks. It's going to be a good time. As always, I am Scott Lentz. He's the world's biggest Birdman fan, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.